Well, God is good, and uh, he's doing amazing things in the earth. It's just if you have the eyes to see. If we look at things in the natural, you might not see amazing things, but if we look at things by faith and see that the Spirit of God is working in every situation, all the time, it really becomes... uh, an amazing thing. I think of what Isaiah said. He, he made this declaration. Your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And that is so true. Oh. We in our infinite minds, in our infinite, in our, I'm sorry, our finite minds and our finite comprehension cannot understand the infinite wisdom and the infinite ways of God. Amen. But Here's the good news. He has given us his spirit, and he has revealed those things that he has freely given to us in Christ. Amen. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And we've been talking about the church, and um, last week we talked about the church as a corporate witness of Christ in the earth. And today we're going to continue talking about the church, and today we're going to talk about the church as the functioning body of Christ in the earth. And remember, I made the statement last week that Christ did not come to build individuals. Christ declared that he would build his church. And in building his church, he established his body in the earth. One body, listen, not for individuals, but one body of individuals. The body is not for us individually. The body is of us. Individual members brought together and made one in Christ. And you might say, well, you're kind of splitting hairs there, Pastor Jeff. It's very important that we understand this distinction. It's not the body of Christ for us as individuals, it's of us. And so what God did, he did to establish his body in the earth, to build his church. Amen? And so this corporate understanding or this revelation of the corporate body and the fact that the corporate body cannot function apart from the individual Even though individuals can choose to function apart from the body, the body does not function apart from individuals. There can be no corporate faithfulness apart from individual faithfulness. Therefore, it's important, it's vital that we, as individuals, come to know and experience the vital reality of our corporate life, of being a part of the corporate body and the corporate expression of Christ in the earth. That is the life of his body functioning as one new man. This is what Paul talks about in Ephesians 2. How God destroyed the division of the two and made the two one, taking away the enmity, taking away the contradiction, and established and created in Christ one new man. And we, through faith, by his grace, have been brought into that one new man. Amen? So we exist, we live in the body. Christ is our life. We abide in him and he abides in us. 
And so we are members of his body. Now, having said that, let's go to Romans chapter 12 and let's read. Let me, I'm just going to read verses 1 through 8. And then we're going to go back and we're going to go through this verse by verse. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Follow along with me. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now I want you to underline the next word. For... I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Here's that word again. For, as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. Here's another important word. So, we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. And he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So, Paul in, is writing now, this is called the letter to the Romans. Now, back in those days, it was a little different than it is now. You didn't necessarily have a church on every corner that had its own identity, its own label, its own flavor, its own brand, and it's an exclusive thing. And you either belong to our flavor, or you belong to our label, or, you know, I don't know what. When Paul wrote this letter, he wrote this letter to all the believers who were living in Rome. Now, obviously, Rome was a big city back then. So, they didn't have like a mega church where everybody came together in one place. You had the church meeting all over the place. They'd meet in homes, they'd meet in public squares, they'd meet in the catacombs, they, they met out in the the, the woods under a tree, they'd meet anywhere they could meet, anywhere they could assemble. But Paul wrote this letter to the believers in Rome. So that means this letter, how do you think this letter came to be in our possession? When Paul wrote this and delivered it to Rome, it was copied and distributed to all the believers everywhere because there was no distinction other than you were in Christ. It wasn't until centuries later that we really begin to segregate and bring distinction that, that man put on our, you know, movements and denominations and, and those types of things. When the scriptures were written, when the New Testament was written as a revelation of what was given to us in the Old Testament, which is Christ, it was written to those who were in Christ. And so this letter was written to the church at Rome to all the believers at Rome. And now I want you to see this as we begin here in, in, chapter, in uh, chapter 12 in verse 1. This is a section of scripture that, that is one of my, uh, you know, I don't really have a favorite scripture, 
But there are some scriptures that, that I just really, you know, lean on or look to more. This has been a scripture all of my life in Christ that I have really leaned on and claimed, you know, and, and used it as a, an exhortation and as a reminder to myself of what I'm supposed to do. I beg you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And for, for many, many years, I've read that scripture and I applied that scripture in a personal way to my life. And it is to be applied personally, but it doesn't end there. See, Paul says to present your bodies. Why? Not so that I can individually conquer sin, not so, that I can not, not so that I can individually become successful or prosperous. or I mean, all that's fine and good. But the point, and here's why I wanted you to underline the fours and the so in these verses of Scripture. Paul's point is not, he's not writing to individuals for their individual overcoming. He's writing to these individual members of the corporate body so that they will understand that they are to function together, live together and express and manifest the life of Christ together, not as individuals, but as a body. And Paul was saying, if you guys don't individually present your bodies, if you guys don't individually get your minds renewed and become transformed, then there cannot be a corporate expression. There cannot be a corporate functioning of the body. The body cannot function corporately if individually these things do not become true. And these things are not revealed to us just so that we can know them individually. They're revealed for a greater purpose, and the greater purpose is for the functioning of the body, for the witness that the corporate body, every member becoming one, for the witness that it declares in the earth. Amen? So present your bodies and do not be conformed to this world. Present your bodies for the body. So the context of Paul's command to present our bodies to God is for the purpose of revealing the perfect will of God. And the perfect will of God is not, doesn't end with me as an individual. The perfect will of God is not me as an individual loving and serving Jesus. The perfect will of God is me as an individual being brought into the many-membered body of Christ. And within that corporate body, the perfect will of God is revealed in his body. I mean, would you agree that my finger is part of my body? But just a finger by itself doesn't reveal or doesn't allow the body to function. But the finger is an individual member that must be part of my whole body for my body to function the way that God has created and purposed it to function. But it would be foolishness and would not even make sense if we thought that somehow our fingers, in and of themselves, alone, could just be, could be an expression of the body. And I prayed and I worked really, really, really hard that my finger would be as healthy as it could, as successful as it could, as prosperous as it could, as strong as it could. I've got the strongest, most successful spiritual finger you've ever seen. But if it's not functioning with the rest of the body, I, there is no glory in my finger being successful if it's not part of the body. And the finger was never meant to get the glory. The body was meant to get the glory. My hand was never meant to get the glory. It's my body that gets the glory. 
And the focus of the body is not the hand or the finger or the, remember guys? There's parts of our body we can't even see. I mean, you know, I've got this habit of kind of pacing around, and some of you, it probably drives you crazy, you know. I see you, you know, you're like, kind of like trying to follow me, and somebody's head's in the way, and, but I'm sorry, I just, I have this, you know, i got to move around. Do you realize what it takes for me to just to be able to, this, this limited range of motion, the miracle that's taking place, for me to be able to just move in this limited form here? I mean, there are things functioning in my body that you can't see, that I can't see. I don't even know what they are. I have no idea how they work. But guess who does? God does. God does. And this body can't function and even do very simple things without the amazing complexity that God has designed and created it to, to, to perform. And so God's purpose is not in us as individuals. God's purpose and his perfect will is revealed not in us singly, but in us corporately. And this is why Paul is writing, brothers, present your bodies so that you can come into the body and function and reveal in that corporate man the perfect will of God. Let's go to 1 John 2.15. And what did Paul tell us? He says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If I am conformed to the world, what does that mean? What, if I'm conformed to the world's way of thinking, the world's way of living, and I'm not just talking about your bad behavior. Your bad behavior is nothing more. You know, Christians can behave sinfully. You do realize that, right? Christians can behave sinfully. But if you're a believer in Christ, you're not a sinner. Now that's a long discussion that, you know, I probably just upset somebody's theology. But the reality is, the scripture says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Christ, I'm not a sinner anymore. My nature was that of a sinner before I was crucified with him and raised with him. But now that I'm crucified with him and raised with him, I'm not a sinner anymore. But can I behave sinfully? Yes, I can. And why do I behave sinfully? Because I allow this mind to revert back to the ways of the old nature. In, in this phrase, have you found 1 John chapter 2, verse 15? Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He's not saying, you know, you can't appreciate the trees and the, the, the beauty of nature. No, he's talking about the world. He's talking about a mindset, a way of thinking. Not even a way of living, because the way we live is nothing more than a product of the way we think. If I'm in love with the old sin nature, if I'm in love with the things I used to do, guess what? If that's my desire, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to do my desire. If my desire is to live and behave sinfully, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to live and behave sinfully. You can try all you want to exercise your willpower, and your willpower will only carry you so far. This is why we see people live free of their addiction for a period of time and they fall back into their addiction. They live free of their sinful behavior for a period of time, but then they fall back into their sinful behavior. You know why? Because they're trying out of the strength of their own will, their own willpower, their own human strength, out of their own carnal mind to be something that's impossible for them to be. But if we understand something fundamental has happened, if I've been crucified with him, if I've been raised with him, 
The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I am now a new creation. I'm, I'm not of the first man anymore. I'm now of the second man. I'm not of the first Adam anymore. Adam was put away. Jesus was the last Adam. I have come into a new creation. And I have been brought into a new man. There's one new man. His name is Jesus Christ. This is why Paul's emphasis, you can read it in his writings all the way from Romans to to the last letter that is recorded in the New Testament, even into John's epistles. This is why the emphasis in the scripture is that of the corporate body. It is the expression of his body. And what we do as individuals, how we think as individuals, how we behave as individuals, has an effect on the functioning of that corporate body. So what what does John say here? He says, for all that is in the world, what's in the world? He tells us the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Paul says, don't be conformed to the world. Don't be conformed to the world which operates out of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Don't let that be your attitude, your mindset, your way of thinking. Do you guys know that you can be very righteous behaving on the outside, but be filled with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life? How do we know that's true? Because that's why Jesus railed against the Pharisees. They, they could put on a really good show on the outside. They looked very righteous on the outside. But on the inside, where you and I couldn't necessarily see, but the Son of God came on the scene and he saw right through their facade and he said, you guys are full of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You are wicked. You've cleaned the cup really good on the outside, but the inside is absolutely filthy. And see, here's the thing. The law could clean us up on the outside, but the law could never deal with what's on the inside. Couldn't do it. That's why Jesus said, you guys might not be committing adultery, but when you look at that woman with lust in your eyes, you've just done it. You may have never murdered your brother, but when you say, I hate him, you fool, you've just killed him in your heart. And so Paul, in this wonderful letter we call Romans, writes this beautiful discourse about this dilemma that we find ourselves in. What are we going to do? I am trapped in this body of death. I'm trapped under the bondage of the law of sin and death, and there is no way for me to get out. But I thank God for Jesus Christ. Because Jesus has delivered us. Now, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. How do I walk according to the Spirit? If you belong, verse 9, if you belong to Christ, if you are Christ, you are no longer in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit. So why is Paul telling these guys, hey, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Don't be conformed to the world anymore. Don't give place to the lust of your flesh, the lust of your eyes, and the pride of life any longer. Put that away and be transformed By the renewing of your mind. Because in that transformation that's going to take place, not out here first, it's going to take place in here. And as your mind is renewed, that's going to change everything. It's going to cause you to see the reality of what you have come into as a believer. 
It's going to cause you to see in reality what Christ did for you at the cross and through the resurrection. It's going to cause you to be able to see what you have entered into by grace through faith in the Son of God. And and when you get that revelation, when you begin to see that, you will begin to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, verse 3, through the grace that is given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Present your bodies and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, what is that going to do? That is going to cause me to be able to come into relationship It's going to give me a proper foundation. It's going to give me a proper marker for how I relate in the body. How I think of myself and how I think of others. So Paul says to all of us, no one excluded. If you're a believer, don't be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because God wants to prove through your life, individually and corporately, the perfect will of God. And so he says, I say, by the grace given to me, not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but to think soberly. Now it's interesting here, this word soberly means in right mind. It means sound mind. It means moderate not moderate in a political sense, okay? It means keeping things in proper balance and proper perspective. I'm not way out here and I'm not way out here because way out either direction is not right. Paul says we need to think with our right minds. Well, this word soberly is used in direct contrast with this word highly, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Well, this word highly in the Greek is pronounced hooper. It's a prefix that means overmuch. It's like hyper. Hyper, anybody got any hyperactive kids? Well, all that word means is they're They're overly active. We've turned that into some kind of um, problem in in our, excuse me while I tie my shoe. We've turned that into some kind of a problem and, you know, I think, anyways, that's that's a different subject. I'll just say I was a pretty active kid when I was little. (laughs) Now, there's a time not to be hyperactive (laughs) and there's a time when it's okay to be hyperactive, right? But, but, but there's never a time for us to have a hyper view of ourselves. Paul says, that, as a matter of fact, if I walk around and I have a hyper or a high view of myself as opposed to you, then you know what you're going to perceive? You're going to perceive that I think I am something above what you are. And if I live with that attitude, 
If that's what you perceive from me, that I think I'm something above you, after all, I am the pastor, the man of God, you know? So you can't touch me. Can you get my... God forbid that we should ever get to the place where we feel compelled to have bodyguards and, and, and things like that. I mean, I know churches get that big. But I'm wondering, my Lord, is, is, is that really what God intended? That, that we become so far removed from people that, that there is no connection there. That's not what God wants. And, 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 and that cannot be an attitude that any of us have toward one another. If I have too high-minded a view of myself as opposed to you, then it's going to affect our relationship. It will. It will cause you to think that, that somehow... I think you're less than what you truly are. It's not conducive to unity. It's not conducive for the proper functioning of the body if I have a high-minded view of myself. So what does the scripture say? It says don't have a high-minded view of yourself, but think soberly. Have the right perspective. Have the right mind about who you are. And who I am is not defined by me, it's defined by who? By God, that's right. And who you are is not defined by me or your friends or your enemies. Who you are is defined by God. And so your, the way you look at yourself, the way you think of yourself should not be determined by what other people think or what other people have done to make you think certain things. It should be based on what God has declared in his word and what he has demonstrated through the life of his resurrected son. Amen? And so he says, don't be high-minded. Have a sober mind. Think soberly. To think soberly is to, to think of oneself in relation to the body. This is what he's saying. Don't think of yourself as out here as an individual with a higher purpose in a better calling, and a better gifting, and you got more talent, and you got more whatever. He said, think of yourself in relation to the body. Yeah, not everybody's a mouthpiece. Not everybody's a hand. There are some people that are kidneys and, 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 and lungs and hearts, and there's body parts that can't be seen, that are not readily known and seen and visible, but are they less, are they less important? I mean, anybody want to get a makeover on their, you know, I mean, what, what, let's get some cosmetic surgery done on our liver or our kidneys or our lungs. I wish my lungs were a little bit bigger. I mean, you know, we want our lips to be bigger. We want other parts of our body to be bigger. You know, we want bigger biceps. We want more hair. I mean, we're all about making up the outside, right? I mean, we see somebody on TV and say, man, I wish I had those puffy lips like they do. Well, I'll just go get some cosmetic surgery and puff my lips up. I mean, we don't think about doing it. We don't think about what our kidney looks like or what our lung looks like or what our heart looks like until we have problems with it, right? But those things are functioning all the time. We, you couldn't even live and move and do anything if those things weren't functioning. But we don't give those things any, we don't give those things any thought because they're not seen, they're not heard, but just because they're not seen and not heard and not readily visible, does that mean they're less important? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, Paul says those things, 
Those things, those parts of the body that get less honor than others, they're actually more honorable, they're more important than a lot of the things that, that get all the attention. I'm going somewhere with this, hang with me. So the only high view, the only high view that we should have is a high view of God. We should not have a high view of ourselves. We should not have a hyper view of ourselves or other people. The only high or hyper view that we should have is a high view of God. And if we have a high view of God, then we will be sober-minded in, in everything else because we'll understand he's the only thing that deserves the hyper and the hoopla, right? All right, so then he goes on. Here's another four. Do you see the continuation of thought here? See, we're real bad about reading the Scripture, and we end at our favorite Scripture, but we never understand what, what, what's being said in context here. I'm going to take this promise, and I'm going to run with it, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do that, and... And God's going to do this through me, and I'm going to do, and I'm, 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 I'm. Hey, Paul said the I is crucified. It's dead. doesn't exist anymore. It's not about I. It's not about me. And this is what Paul is doing in his writings. He's crucifying the I. He's crucifying the I and the me. And he's saying, guys, it's not about an I and a me. It's about a we and an us. And the only individual it's truly about is not you or me. It's about him. It's about him. Verse 4, Romans 12. For as we have many members, say many members. As we have many members in one body, say one body. Many members, one body. Ten fingers, ten toes. My dog that just died, he had seven toes on one foot. His name was Skeeter. I gave him that name on purpose. His Skeeter died. He did. I know. It's sad. But, but we have toes and fingers and ears and eyes and individual members that make up how many bodies? One body. You say, this is so elementary. I know it's elementary. But you know what? We have missed the elementary things. And we've gone on to other things not correctly discerning. We haven't built the foundation right. And we're wondering why the church is in the mess that it's in. How can the church be in the mess that it's in? I mean, if this is so elementary and we got it down so pat, then why in the world is the church in the mess that it's in? That's what I want to know. Why are we allowing everything under the sun and calling it God? Why are we dividing over the most ignorant things, the trivial things, and, and, and calling it the Spirit of God? It ain't the Spirit of God, it's the Spirit of this world. And Paul said, don't be conformed to the spirit of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and come into the conformity of the spirit of God in Christ who is in you. And so he says here, he said, we are many members in one body. But all the members do not have the same function. That makes sense, right? So the church is one body comprised of many members. And the many members function together in how many bodies? In one body, making up how many men? One man, his name is Christ. But all the members do not have the same function. No function can be performed apart from one another. My fingers aren't moving apart from my hand, my arm, my shoulder, and ultimately what? My head. You get separated from the head, nothing works. Exactly what Jesus meant in John 15. 
We're all branches, but the question is, are we connected to the true vine? If we're not a branch connected to the true vine, then what are we? We're dead. What can you, you can't do anything with dead branches. Just like you can't do anything with an arm or a hand that's been cut off from the body. It has no use. It has no purpose. It will die unless you get it connected really quick. So no function can be done apart from another. The desire to function outside of the place God ordained. Listen. The desire to function out of the place that God has ordained for us comes from the high mind of the world, not the sober mind of Christ. Go to 1 Corinthians 12, 18. Hold your place in Romans 12, and let's go over a few pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, this is one of the reasons Paul is writing this letter. We're not, we're not teaching on 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but there is a reason Paul wrote the letter to the Corinthians. And I'm telling you what, that letter deals almost exclusively with the problems that existed in that body because they were not correctly discerning the body of Christ. They were jealous of each other's gifts. They were desiring each other's functions. And this is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, we can't all be ears, we can't all be eyes, we can't all be mouths. We can't all be the same part of the body. Otherwise, you don't have a body. You don't have anything that can function. And so he makes this, he makes this very profound statement in 1 Corinthians 12, 18. But now, God has set the members, comma, each one of them, comma, in the body just as he pleased. Now think about that. There's three parts, parts to this statement here. But now God has set the members. So why am I fussing and fighting? Why do I have a high mind or a high view of myself and my function and my gift over yours? I didn't do that. I didn't give myself that gift. I didn't put myself in that place. It's not my function. God didn't come to me and say, say, Jeff, I'm thinking about making you a pastor what do you think about that? Are you okay with that if I give you that calling and that function in the body? I just want to check with you before I mark you down for pastor. God didn't do that. And, and, and if you really knew me, and some of you know me better than other, others of you do, there, there's no way in my wildest imaginations ever, ever, ever that I would have dreamed of being a pastor. I wasn't raised in church. I wasn't spiritual. I wasn't religious in the least. It was the last thing. It wasn't even on my radar screen. But you know why I'm pastoring today? Because God placed me to function in the body in this capacity. God has placed you in the body to function in the capacity he has chosen for you. But now God has set the members, each one. Now here is where Paul uses a word that speaks of the individual, each one. He is getting very specific here, and he's saying each one of you individuals has been placed where? In the body. Not according to our desire or our liking. Now I'll tell you, I love being a pastor. It's, 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 I couldn't imagine desiring to do anything else. But you know who gave me the desire? God did. 
I didn't know I had it. It wasn't on my radar screen for most of my life or for half of my life. But when God opened my eyes and brought me to a place of, of revelation, of seeing something I'd never seen before because I was blind to it, he birthed in me a desire. The desire didn't come from me. The desire came from him. The desire to function in the place that he has purposed. Because he has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. Not as I please. But I believe this, if we find and we understand, if we get a revelation of the body, of what we're called to, of where our life is, our life is in Christ. And you cannot have life in Christ apart from the body of Christ. You can't do it. Jesus is not in the business of dividing his body. He's not in the business of segregating his body any more than your physical body is divided and segregated. It is one and it functions together. I don't stop functioning when I leave here. I don't stop in my function because I'm not standing up here talking to you, preaching to you, or teaching to you. We function in our place and in our calling wherever we go, whether it's here on Sunday morning or Monday morning at work or at school or at play or at home, it doesn't matter. I mean, when does your body stop functioning as a body? I mean, when you get home, do all your body parts go their separate ways? They don't, do they? You stay together as a one functioning unit. But is that the mind that we have concerning the body of Christ? Is that our mind and our understanding and our comprehension of the body of Christ? It, it should be, and this is why Paul is writing what he's writing here. Let's go back to Romans chapter 12. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, they function as God has set them and as God pleases. So then, or so we, verse 5, so we, being members are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So we have many members in one body functioning together. We have these individual members set in their place, each one as God pleases. And we have these individual members that are individually members of one another. My finger is an individual member, but it is individually a member of my hand. We're individually members of one another. You might not understand this. You might not comprehend this. Because there is such a disconnect oftentimes. But God says, Paul says, don't let there be a disconnect. Discern who you are. Remember I said we don't come together so we can become one and function together as one on Sunday. We come together because we are one and we are functioning as a body. This is just the manifestation of that reality. I can think of it in, in, in either way. I can think of myself as an individual doing my own thing, but now Sunday comes and i got to go to church and do my time with God because I want him to like me and bless me and not be upset with me. 
so I'm going to go ahead and go to church today, and I'm going to function as the body. But then I'm going to go home, and I'm going back to my individual life doing my individual thing. Or I can understand that by grace, through faith, Jesus Christ saved me and brought me into the life of his body, his mysterious, universal, corporate body, And now I have my life in Christ, and I am a member of his body individually, but I am individually a member of one another, of everybody else that's also in the body. Whether I like it or not, whether I believe it or not, whether I know it or not, the reality is we are connected together in Christ to share life, to participate in life together, just like, you know, Paul says it this way, each part doing a share, each one sharing and supplying what the other needs. My heart is pumping blood throughout my body right now, but it's all the different individual members that's allowing the blood my heart is pumping to flow. My lungs are working well right now because my heart is working well right now. You know what happens when your heart stops working well? You get a disease called congestive heart failure, and your lungs can't function as well. Why? Because the function of your lungs is is tied to the function of your heart, and the function of your, the rest of your body is also tied to the function of your heart and your lungs. Do you see, see, we, we don't have a problem understanding how interconnected we are physically in our bodies. Because we went to school and we were taught that in biology, and that's enforced all the time right? You see stuff about it all the time on TV and and, and in print. You know, take this herb, it'll strengthen this part of your body and it'll help these other things because we're all connected. But, But we don't have that same revelation of the interconnectedness and the vitality that is absolutely necessary within the spiritual body of Christ. And I'm telling you what, this physical body that we worship so much, you know what's going to happen to it one day? (laughs) It's going to turn back into the dust. But there is a body that is eternal, and that is the body of Christ. And and I don't expect the world to understand those truths and those realities, because they're the world. But the scripture is written to us so that we can understand and comprehend these truths, so that we, as the body, can function together. And why is it important for us to function together in that way? Because we have been put in the earth as a witness to the world. What we do as a body is important. We are declaring something. And so we function together. No function can be done apart from one another. We're individually members of one another. We were created in Christ to be one with one another. We were created in Christ to function together as one. And so then Paul goes on, having then, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. That's reaffirming, reaffirming that the gift that you have, the gift that I have, the calling that we have, the function that we have in the body is by the grace of God. He gave it to us, not because we chose it or we desired it. He gave it to us because he chose it and he desired it for us. And in choosing it and desiring it for us, he gives us the grace to operate in it. 
We don't operate in it by our own will, by our own strength. It is the grace of God. So he says, then having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. God has set us in place and given us gifts that they may be used. God gave you a hand so that you can use it. Why? Because there are things that that he wants you to be able to do. And if you didn't have a hand, you couldn't do certain things. If you you don't have a thumb, do do you know there's a lot of things you can't do if you don't have a thumb? You don't have a big toe? There's a lot of things you can't do. So God put these things in the body so that they can be used, not individually, but corporately. Because in the individual using and operating of these parts and gifts and functions, it does what? It reveals the perfect will of God in the body as a whole. And we use our gifts how? Paul says, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Who gave us our faith? God did. How do we know that? Because he says right back up here in verse 3. As God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Who dealt you a measure of faith? God did. You didn't just work it up. God gave it to you. Now, But now when God gave you that measure, can you increase your faith? Oh, yes, you can. 2 Corinthians 10, 15, and 17. Let's go there. See, don't take my word for it. Let's, let's see what the scripture says. 2 Corinthians 10, 15. 2 Corinthians 10, 15. Not boasting of these things beyond measure, that is, in order... Uh, in other men's labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere. Now, hear what Paul is talking about. He's talking about his sphere of influence. He's preached the gospel to these Corinthians, and he's saying, I have a sphere of influence with you and around you and among you. And he's saying, as your faith is increased, I am believing, God, that my sphere of influence will be enlarged by you. That as you grow in faith, as you grow in the knowledge and in the grace of Jesus Christ, the ability for the gospel to be preached and impact lives shall be enlarged. That's what he's talking about. Why? Because there will be an increase of the knowledge of the glory of God. And as the knowledge of the glory of God increases, he said, our sphere and our ability to preach and minister the gospel is increased. Paul says here in in Romans 12, he says, if you have a gift, if it's prophecy, then prophesy in proportion to your faith. If it's serving, then use it in serving. If it's teaching, he said, use it in teaching. All of these are in proportion to your faith. Say, well, I tried that once and it didn't work. I told the crew last night, I gave them a homework assignment. I said, I want you all to go home. Y'all can do this today too, by the way. Some of them didn't like it. But I said, when you go home tonight, when you go home this afternoon, I want each of you to to see how many push-ups you can do. Girls, you can get on your knees. It's allowable for the girls. But for the guys... 
Get on your toes, stretch out there like a board, and, and go down and touch your nose on the carpet and come back up. See how many of those you can do in succession. Say, man, I can't even do one. I tried, but it didn't work. So, so how are you going to grow in your ability to do more push-ups? You tried once and you couldn't do it, so you quit. You think by not trying again, you're going to be able to do more push-ups next time? Well, I want to more. I have a greater desire now to do more push-ups, so I'm going to try it again. Well, have you, have you, have you, have you exercised yourself you know, in proportion to the ability you have since the last time you tried. No, I've just been sitting on the couch watching TV shows about doing push-ups. And I've learned really good technique. And so I've spent, I've spent about 40 hours studying and reading about how to do push-ups. So I feel very certain that I can do about 50 of them right now. Because I saw a guy on TV doing it. And you get back down there and you try to do a push-up. And you know what? You're not going to be able to do any more than you did before. God gave you a gift to use, not to read about, not to study about, not to hear somebody else talk about how you should use it. We, we do stuff like that, and we sit there, and I wonder why I'm never being used by God. Well, use it. God gave it to you. Use it. Where, well, where do I use it, pastor? Well, where do you live? Where do you go? What do you do? From Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday again. Where, where do you go? What do you do? Where do I use it? Everywhere you go. When do I use it? All the time. What, what, what is it? It is simply allowing the life of Christ in you to be manifest through you. And trusting the Holy Ghost that, that he will, as you exercise, as you use, as you step out in faith and use your gift and operate in your function in proportion to the faith that you have. As you step out, you will grow and increase in faith as you grow and increase in the knowledge of Christ. And as you use that gift, you will grow and increase in the proficiency of the use of that gift. Just like if you go home today and you can only do one push-up, I promise you, if you keep trying every day, every day, every day, I would be willing to bet by the end of three months, you could do 25. Easy. And that's conservative if you're diligent to do it every day. God has set us in place and given us gifts that we may use them. Ephesians 4.16, I'm closing with this. Having then gifts, let us use them. Every part doing its share. Now, please hear me. I'm not, I'm not preaching work. This is not about works, working to earn your salvation. This is understanding that because you are saved by grace, not of yourselves, you cannot boast about it. Because you are saved, because you have been brought into life in Christ, and you are a part of his body, you're not just a body part taking up space any more than God put your lungs in your chest just because he wanted to put something in there, or your heart, 
or your organs. He didn't put fingers on the end of your hands because he thought your hands would look funny if they didn't have any fingers. He put fingers on the end of your hands and a thumb there because he knew that it would be useful because he had a purpose and a design in mind when he created your body. He has a purpose and a design in mind when he established the body of Christ. And so Paul says in Ephesians 4, 16, from whom the whole body, whole body, that's everybody, the whole thing, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. You may be a joint supplying what the other joint needs. According to the effective working by which every part, every part, every individual member does its share And when that happens, it causes growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. You read the epistles. You read the gospels. You read the scripture and see the message is very clear. God has established a body. We're not here on earth trying to figure out how we can individually be happier, more successful, more prosperous. To heck with everybody else. I got my ticket to heaven, and I'm looking forward to being there one day. The rest of you guys, I don't care what you guys do. I'm claiming the promises of God for me, my four, and no more. That is the world's mentality. And the scripture says get delivered from that mentality. You have way too high-minded view of yourself. Become sober-minded. And understand that God saved you to make you a part of the whole, a part of the body. And his spirit will give you the revelation. And his grace will give you the ability to function in the place that he has chosen for you. Because that's what pleased him. Amen. And then the body will be built up together in love. For his glory. And that will prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen? Praise God. Let's all stand. I'm going to pray a prayer of dismissal. And if you're here today and you want prayer for maybe healing, or maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor Jeff, I don't know that I really know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. After we dismiss, I want you to come forward. If you want prayer for any reason, from salvation to healing or whatever, I want you to come forward and we want to pray with you. Amen? Father, we just ask today that you would, by your Spirit, God, even as the Apostle Paul prayed, Lord, give us the spirit of wisdom and understanding and revelation. Lord, open the eyes of our understanding. Deliver us from, Lord, this cancer called individualism that is destroying the body of Christ. Lord, deliver us from reading the scripture in a way that that only applies to me as an individual and what I can receive from it. God, help me to see that I am a part of a whole. And that whole is the one new man, Jesus Christ. And Lord, your perfect will is not revealed in me personally. It is revealed, Lord, in the corporate body of Christ. And by grace, you have personally and individually brought me into that body so that Lord, I can and all of us as believers in Christ can function together and work together and Lord, together glorify the Lord and Savior and make known to the world what is the perfect will of God. Lord, our functioning as one body corporately 
is a witness to the world. Lord, just as our assembling together is a witness to them. Lord, deliver us from, Lord, falling into that way of thinking. Lord, that it's just me. It's just me and God. It's not just me and God. I am a part of the body. You have brought me into the most wonderful thing that I could possibly be a part of. I am a member, individual, of his many-membered body. I am one part of the whole. Lord, you did that by grace. And I thank you, Lord, that even giving me the faith to believe was a gift of grace. We are so thankful, God, today, Lord, that we can call ourselves believers and a part of the body. And if there's one here today, God, that cannot say that, cannot know with assurance right now that they are a part of the body, Father, I pray that they would come today, they would give their life to the Lord Jesus, and Lord, pass from the old and into the new. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. If you'd like prayer, come and we will pray. God bless you. Have a great day, each and every one of you.